Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McCormick. You can find me on socials at Real Sean McCormick or Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram. And uh, where there, I, I post lots of different quotes from from episodes. I post little memes that I've created from my time as a as a performance coach, as a life coach, things that I've known and learned when it comes to life hacks, biohacks, spirit hacks. Uh, just tons of cool stuff. So go ahead and follow me there. There's lots of great information. And also, um, I do a lot of like product reviews. I do a lot of um, explaining how the different biohacking equipment works. And uh, it's it's um, insightful. So go check it out. Go to Instagram and uh, follow Real Sean McCormick. That's me, gang. Hey, how are ya? Before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank Blue Blocks. Uh, I don't know if you guys know much about red light therapy, but it is... Uh, massively beneficial. Um, you've probably heard of red light therapy, but you may not know why, why it works or why you should give a shit. Here are some of the reasons why red light therapy can enhance your health. It can help your skin, fat loss, muscle recovery. It can increase testosterone. It can help with joint pain. It can help regulate and improve thyroid function. It just does all of these amazing things. And it's, and it literally, it's just shining a red light on your face, on your body. This is sort of like a quintessential biohacking piece of equipment. And the people at Blue Blocks have created the Hive. It's a handheld device. It's the world's best portable, low EMF, no flicker, dual near infrared light source. So it's just, it's this portable little box that you can shine on your face. Um, when I was using, uh, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy one here in a minute. Uh, I don't have one yet, but I was using like this, uh, a crappy version that I bought off Amazon. I think it was called S Grow, and uh, it just wasn't cutting the mustard. Um, it would, it would, it would flicker all the time. It would, it would come on and off. It would kind of get hot. Um, but I've been uh, doing some research on this Hive product, and uh, this is the photo, photo biomodulation is, is a massively beneficial thing that if, if you have tried a lot of different things to help boost your health and you have not tried red light therapy, you should give it a go. Uh, it's really worth exploring. So go to blueblocks.com, B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com, and use the code OPP and get 15% off your online purchase. You know, I think that in 10 or 15 years, we're going to understand that blocking blue light is like uh, an essential thing for our health. So check it out. All right. On today's episode, we're joined by Patrick Wanis. You may remember Patrick Wanis from a couple of episodes ago, uh, 276 with Chris Burris, the founder of My Vital C. Patrick Wanis is a He's a lot of things. Uh, he's a he's a human behavior expert. He's a coach. He's a therapist using this uh, SRTT tech um, sort of approach to to therapeutic modality. And uh, I did a session with him. And I have never done really like therapy therapy ever before. Uh, I did couples therapy once when um, me and my wife were going through a thing, and um, it was okay. But this is something totally different. Uh, in this process, you actually go talk to your younger self, and uh, I've never been experienced any. I've never been exposed to anything quite like that. But uh, this was really beneficial. It did sort of uh, unlock and heal a thing that uh, I get into here on this episode. Um, in this episode, we talk about how Patrick became a human behavior expert. We talk about how we think of our relationships to things, to loved ones, to strangers, and how it's important to our reality. Uh, we talk about the connection between childhood trauma and adult performance. We all experience trauma in one way, shape, or form differing degrees and different experiences, but we do experience it and how we deal with that trauma, how we think about it, how it shapes us is really important for how we perform later. And if you have a bunch of unresolved stuff, then it's really a good idea for you to sort of address that because especially now in this wacky time in the world, if you have a bunch of unresolved trauma that you haven't really been uh, addressing, it's going to come back later and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to manifest in other ways that help you, that make you like self-destruct. So it's really worth checking out. Here's a couple of quotes from the episode. 
you got to enjoy the process of every little moment because that's all you've got. Another quote, the more you heal unresolved issues, not only will the greater success you have, you'll actually enjoy it. I think that any ways that we can connect to our lives and enjoy our lives in a more deeper, meaningful way, I think it's really worth looking out. There's a ton to be gained from this episode. You know, I don't know if you seek out mental health. I don't know if you read articles about psychology or trauma, but it is my goal to bring to you useful stuff that can help you in your life every single week. And and to that end, I've I've brought you uh, an expert in this way that that can help you think about your life in a new way. And hopefully, you get as much out of this as I did. And plus, you're gonna get to know me a little bit more in some of my hangups, which is fine. Is fine. I like sharing, and I hope the I hope that you gain something from it. One more announcement before we get going. Um, I'm going to keep teasing this. I'm I'm working on something for you guys that I'm really excited about. Um, but I would love to know uh, how you guys think about performance and how you think about biohacking. So as I continue to tease tease this going forward, be thinking about how how you want to hack yourself. What sort of biohacking techniques? What sort of skills? What sort of services are you interested in? Uh, and th- I'd love to connect with you somehow. And it's really challenging to do because I know that I have podcasts that I listen to and sometimes I've reached out to them and I've connected with a couple of other podcast hosts, of course, uh, but some of the big ones that I really, really love, uh, it can be challenging. I want to connect with you. I want to hear from you. So send me an email or send me a DM on Instagram. I would love to connect. A lot of you already have You've connected with me on Optimal Performance Podcast on Instagram. Send me an email, sean at seanmccormick.com, or send me a DM to say, hey, just want to say hi, <laughs> and then uh, we can go from there. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Patrick Wannis. And we're here with Patrick Wannis, PhD, human behavior expert, coach to the stars. Patrick, welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you. I guess you must be one of the stars. <laughs> oh. All right. Oh, flattery is going to get you very far in this uh, in this podcast arrangement, my man. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. Yeah, the uh, I'd like to go. I'd like to go directly for it. Um, you know, we had you on with Chris Burris from uh, My Vital C, and uh, the focus was sleep. And you guys were cool enough to put together a free um, ebook for people, audiobook, so that they could have some tools during this this wacky time. And we covered a lot of cool areas, and. Since then, you and I have gone through an SRTT session, which uh, was technically my second therapy session ever in my 37 years on this planet. And we could talk a little bit about that a little bit later in this episode. But I think the the, the, the general sort of thrust of, of this conversation I'd like to start with is just tell us a little bit about who you are, what your experience is, and how you became um, a an, an, an SRTT therapist and coach and an expert in human behavior. So it's interesting because I'm sure you've heard the same thing. You get in an elevator and someone says, hello, what do you do? And you try to think of something really cool and usually you give your title. So instead of giving a title, people say, what do you do? I say, I help set people free from the past. You do what? I'm a human behavior expert. I help set people free from the past so they can live life to its fullest. Um, I think I began working with people, helping them to change their behavior for the better when I was a child. Uh, It didn't succeed because I got a lot of beatings from my dad, but later on, um, I guess I wasn't a great human behavior expert as a kid, but later on, my parents had come to me for advice. So I was freely giving out advice and there was an expectation of having the answer, having the solution. That formed part of my self-image and my identity. And yet, of course, I also had a lot of other passions. There was a passion for dance. There was a passion for artistic expression. I used to paint. Uh, Eventually, I went on to do photography. I went around the world. I did choreography, dance, uh, stage hypnosis. I used to do comedy hypnosis shows. I was also a radio announcer and an investigative journalist for a while. I was a political reporter. This is all all mainly in Australia before I started traveling the world. And so there's always been a a couple of themes. There's always a theme of creativity. And creativity isn't necessarily about the photos you see behind me, which photos I've taken. Creativity is about solving problems. Because when you create something, you bring in something new forth and hopefully it's a way to solve a problem. I mean, if you're giving birth, 
okay, that's the ultimate form of creation. You're not necessarily solving a problem. But I think in other contexts, you could say creativity is about solving problems. So that's one theme that's been recurring throughout my life, and I'll explain how that relates to human behavior and relationships, although you could also explain that because you experienced one of the sessions and hopefully you will verify and vouch that it is a highly creative process. It's a process I call subconscious rapid transformation technique, which evolved and developed organically. So we have one theme of creativity. There's another passion of wanting to make a difference in other people's lives. And ultimately, I put it down to, because I teach the same thing, I say, what are your core values? And even in workshops with corporations, with Shell, with Orange Theory Fitness, with Air France, whoever it is, I'll get them to go through a special assessment, not an assessment, but a core values exercise I do. And I get them to break it down to 10, break it down to five. Then when we're in the room together, we break it down to two and then one. So I say, if there's one thing that you believe is your core essence, what would it be? What's that one thing that you wouldn't want to let go of? And for me, it's influencing. Now, it took me a while to come up with that term because I kept thinking it doesn't fit in with all of these adjectives in the, in the core values exercise. And then I realized if you think about it, if I'm taking photos or painting or creating art, such as the one behind me, I'm influencing people, hopefully for something better. It doesn't mean they're going to change their behavior, but you could be influencing them to experience an emotion. When you're dancing, you're definitely influencing people to feel an emotion, to have a particular experience. Uh, when, when I'm doing therapy, I'm influencing people to set them free from the past, to let go of painful emotions, to create new beliefs. So eventually, I wrote some small books, and I think it was for American media, and they were the ones that said to me, that labeled me as a human behavior expert before I ever labeled myself. And along the way, then some TV producers came to me and it started off with Hulk Hogan. There was a TV producer who said, could you hypnotize Hulk Hogan? I said, to do what? Like, what's he going to do? He's not going to, you know, make sounds like a chicken. What's he going to do? And it was for relaxation. And I ended up doing like a kind of visual visualization, like a guided meditation with him because he wasn't going to be hypnotized. And that sort of started the door to working with other high profile clients so everything, it's funny how one door can lead to another. It's a little bit like, you know, the butterfly effect. And there's a misconception about the butterfly effect. You can't trace it always back and you can't say that it's going to go this way. You don't know which way it's going to go. But one small change could trigger a series of other changes. It could be a chain reaction, but you don't really know which way it's going to go. I never knew when I left Australia for a three-month holiday that I'd be sitting here today in Miami speaking with Sean McCormick. That was 20-something years ago. I just never went back. But you couldn't predict that. I couldn't predict, predict saying, by taking one trip overseas for a three-month world trip, I'm going to completely change my life. I'm going to end up living in seven or eight other countries and doing multiple careers. I could have never predicted that because I had friends who did travel the world and some of them for a year and two years at a time, and they didn't change that much. So you couldn't tell. Anyway, the point is, eventually, um, my expertise became more and more in the area of human behavior, uh, relationships, and hypnosis. And you can't really study or analyze human behavior without combining that with the study of relationships, because relationships aren't just about the way you and I relate to each other. It's about the way I relate to myself first, then the way I relate to you and the people around me, then the way I relate to the world around me, because we're in relationship with everything in, the, in our world. I have a relationship with my car. Now, it, in, in terms of, you know, what, how do I view it? How do I perceive it? How do I interact with it when it breaks down? You're in relationship with the cashier. You're in relationship with customer service from, from Verizon. You're in relationship with um, the people that you see. You're in relationship with money which is what you and I worked on. So I looked at how do I relate to myself? How do I relate to the people around me? How do I relate to the world around me? And all of those relationships come down to one thing. What do I feel and believe about myself, about the people around me, about the things and the world around me? 
So that was sort of, that's a very long explanation of how it came to it. And I think, I hopefully believe that all of that is a little bit to me like a ball because even with um, SRTT, which you experience, subconscious rapid transformation technique, again, the butterfly effect, that began with people calling me saying they wanted me to do hypnosis or hypnotherapy with them. And at the time, there were people who would pay me to fly to their city. Chris actually had a girlfriend at the time. I think she began it. And she would fly me to the city and pay for me so I could do sessions with her. And then that became um, a pattern. And then people would fly, and I was living in Miami at the time, people would fly into Miami so that, and spend three days here to do sessions with me. Then I was getting phone calls of people saying, can you do it over the phone? I went, hypnosis over the phone? Hmm, I don't think so, but hey, why not? So it started like that. And it progressed, and I was able to, with, and I didn't sit down and write it out. I just used the creative process, which is this works, let's keep going. This isn't working, let's try something different. Let's put together what's working with something new and see what happens. Now they're working, we still have a need over here. Let's be creative, let's solve that problem. So what originally started out to be like a hypnotherapy session over the phone Became this, became this very complex, creative, flexible process of behavioral change and therapy that I called subconscious rapid transformation technique, which you, you will be able to speak even better than I will because you experienced it, to say we're accessing the subconscious mind and you do go into a trance state because you experienced emotions, yeah, correct? I did. Right. I did. I, in fact, I, I want to I jump in there for a second because one, one, th one thing that has become clear to me, and, and we've done, um, I, I did a, an episode with uh, Carmen Vichon who does EMDR, and uh, we talked about uh, how trauma relates to performance. We talked about what, what stems from, um, from, from a traumatic childhood. And we can talk yeah. about trauma and where the world is right now. We can talk about a relationship to ourselves within this uh, pandemic. Um, but something that I, I I'm going to take a little side tour here because I'm 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 kind of interested in it. Um, it through SRTT um, that I experienced that we went through a session with. Um, obviously the, the the trauma. You know, I know there's a capital T trauma, which is like a like a you know like a like a specific event, and there's a you know lowercase t trauma, which is like you know this sort of like passive like neglect you know, sort of example. My question is, you know, when you, when you just when you were describing just off the cuff about your childhood and you know um, taking taking beatings from from your dad, and I don't know how obviously the details to that. Do you think that there is a connection between childhood trauma and high levels of performance in adulthood? Oh, yes. So there's, I Why? actually did a webinar. Uh, I'll explain it. And this is bizarre. And I'm, and I'm ex excited. It's rare that I say that. I am excited. I'll be excited. But rarely do I say I'm excited that you asked that because this is really powerful information for anyone watching this. So I actually did a webinar with another therapist. This therapist is an LMFT, licensed marriage family therapist, who refers clients to me who have experienced trauma. So trauma has now actually become one of my expertise. And again, it evolved that way. Um, so we did a one hour, 50 minute webinar, and I took a lot of calls or a lot of uh, questions and answered a lot of questions. Let me explain trauma this way. So you, you talked about a capital T or lower T. There is a, a trauma assessment, which they call childhood adversity experience test. I don't like the word test because it's not right or wrong, but there is an assessment, meaning you could have zero or you could have 10. And there's basically 10, and this isn't the only forms of trauma, but did you experience physical, uh, sexual, or emotional trauma? Did you experience neglect? Uh, did your parents divorce? Was one of your parents, did one of your parents have mental illness? Did one of your parents get put in prison, become incarcerated? Uh, did your parents separate or divorce? So there's these 10, and then there's more. Did you get bullied? Did you have a specific accident? Maybe you had a physical accident that also resulted in some other sort of trauma, depending on what, what it was. Um, there's also, an, and I just forgot the word, but there's a trauma that we are born with. For example, if, if you are born in a country where you're born into a religion and that religion is despised, then you're already going to experience trauma because of your religious upbringing. 
If you are born black in a country where there's a lot of racism, you're going to experience that trauma. So there's many different forms of trauma. Neglect is a huge form of trauma. Now, the bigger question is, okay, Patrick, so a lot of us have experienced trauma, some more than others. What effect does it have on us? And I just did a session with the comedian Andy Dick's daughter, Meg, the other day to explain to her how trauma affects us because I know that her father, who was also adopted, Andy Dick was adopted, that's a big form of trauma, depending also on what are the circumstances behind it, what's the context. And I explained to her that trauma changes us. It changes us not just mentally and emotionally, but physiologically. So trauma in childhood affects your endocrine system, it negatively affects your endocrine system, your immune system. It negatively affects the way your brain is going to evolve and develop. And it affects obviously your beliefs and your emotions. And it tends to put you into hyper arousal, which is exactly what you and I and Chris talked about, which many of us are experiencing during COVID. And that's the fight or flight response where we're constantly stressed. And the more cortisol that your body's constantly producing, particularly at a young age, the more damage it does to your body. And it does damage to your brain, the, the trauma, the stress of the trauma. Think of it this way. There's a child who comes home to an alcoholic parent, whether that's a mother or father. And even if the parent isn't verbally abusive or sexually abusive or physically abusive, there's still going to be a form of neglect or a form of extreme stress walking on eggshells because the child comes home and doesn't know how mum or dad is going to be based on their alcohol drinking. So they're already going into fight or flight response on a daily basis. So trauma has a huge impact. Now, okay, that sounds great, Patrick, but where's the science to back this up? So let me tell you this, this simple story. It was 1985, and I think the doctor's name was Vincent Folletti. He was working in San Diego at a special clinic that dealt with obesity. And it was primarily for people that were extremely obese, 100 pounds up to 500 pounds obese. But even if you were 30 pounds overweight, you could still come. This doctor started to express extreme concern because people that came there were having great success and they were losing weight, but then they were giving up and dropping out. And he says, why would this be? You're actually having success and they're dropping out. One day by accident, he asks a question to one of these patients and he says something along the lines of, so how much did you weigh when you first had sex? And what he meant to say was, you know, how old were you? And the woman says 40 pounds. He says 40 pounds? And he asked the same question again, not realizing he's still asking an incorrect question. And she says 40 pounds, starts crying and says, I was four years of age. It was my father. So in other words, she'd been sexually abused, sexually molested by her father starting from age four. Now he starts to ask more and more of his patients about this and he sees a pattern that here are so many women as well as men who are obese, extremely obese, and they all experience sexual abuse in childhood. He ends up interviewing 300 of his patients. He goes to a symposium, a medical symposium convention and says that, and he gets not laughed off the stage, but everyone goes, this is ridiculous, this is absurd, we don't believe you. Lo and behold, there's a guy there from the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, who goes up to Dr. Vincent Folletti and says, listen, you've only, you've only interviewed or studied or researched 300 people. If you want to convince everyone and if you want to see if there's a real pattern, you've got to interview a lot more. And guess what? I have access to that. So they got together and they ended up interviewing 17,000 adults. But they didn't just choose adults that were sick. These were just adults that came in for checkups, like an annual, annual checkup. Then what they came up with was the Childhood Adversity Experience Test, and primarily just these 10 basic ones. And it was simply a yes or a no. And what they were able to do, Sean, is to trace everything from heart disease, liver disease, lung disease, bipolar, alcoholism, drug addiction, obsessive compulsive behavior, depression, anxiety, all could be traced back to childhood adverse experiences. In other words, to trauma. So 
You asked a very specific question. Can trauma affect the way people perform? Yes, it can. I was definitely an overachiever. And I was an overachiever in the sense of nothing was ever enough. Had to be more, 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 and had to do more. And that, then you're going to say, well, how does that relate? Well, it depends on what tra- the trauma is you experience. If you experience trauma of beatings and you have a belief of I've got to be better, I've got to be perfect, then you're never ever going to be satisfied because there's an inner emptiness and that inner emptiness cannot be satisfied from doing things outside of you. The, the bizarre thing is the way that trauma does affect us. For example, I gave you, I gave you sort of a description it's even been linked that someone who's experienced sexual abuse in childhood will go on to experience more sexual abuse as a teenager, as an adult, could potentially be molested or raped as a teenager, as an adult. This is not about blaming them. You've got to ask, well, what's the link? Is there a causation or just a correlation? Are we conflating the two? But there is an actual link because of the beliefs that we form, the identity that we form about ourselves and therefore the way that we place ourselves in dangerous situations and because we're not good at reading people and perhaps because we do trust too easily. And there was a really great show, and I don't recall what it was, what the name of it was. It was a a TV documentary where they were interviewing criminals in jail and saying, whether it was rapists or murderers or robbers or thieves, how do you choose your victims? And there was a couple of people who said, I can look at an audience, I can look at a crowd and know that person's my target based on whether they feel that person's gullible, that person's going to easily trust them, is going to give up easily, they're going to be submissive or whatever it is. So we do have ways of reading each other. Um, and then also you've got to say, okay, well, what's another example? If you've experienced sexual abuse in childhood, there's a greater chance You want to engage in risky behaviours, whether that's promiscuity, whether that's drugs, whether that's alcohol, other self-destructive behaviours and risky behaviours that therefore lead you into these dangerous situations where you again get abused. You again get, whether that abuse is sexual, physical, mental, emotional, financial, it keeps happening. So you've got to go back and change those subconscious beliefs. Thank you for that. That, I mean... I want to dig further. Uh, well, let's go deeper with this. So, so let's say the 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 trauma that you experience to one degree or another, in, in one form or another, um, makes you a perfectionist, or makes you obsessive compulsive, or or lights addiction. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm thinking about it in 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 like a in like a business in in, in an, as an asset, right? So if 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 you're if you're a professional football player and your parents were really hard on you and that drove you to run harder, hit harder, lift harder, run faster, be more aggressive, right? That's an asset, right? It, or or, yes, it is. or may, may allow you or help you to thrive in, in business and make a bunch of money. Now, whether or not you have inner peace is a whole nother conversation, of course, but if, if, if some sort of trauma that you experience as a child, <clears throat> and I think that... The, that, that, that most of us experienced some sort of trauma at, at some to some degree at some point in our childhood as as we grow into adulthood and those events um, in varying degrees um, tr- make us who we are psychologically and, and it's and apparently physiologically at the point at which the person decides to actually process this, right? Like, man, I got to get a grasp on this thing. Like, I, I think I, maybe I've done a, I've done such a good job of like compartmentalizing this thing. I think something happened to me, but I don't really know for sure. Or there was this one thing, but it was fine. Like I, I moved past it. I'm, I'm better for it. You know, I've forgiven or whatever. At the point at which someone comes to you and says, hey, I, I've got some hangups. Um, I think they might be associated with something or some things that happened in my childhood. Does the, does the, does the processing of that traumatic event or events in their adult life, does that change or, or any, in any way sort of take away that edge that allows them to be exceptional? These are great questions. So there's, there's a simple way to look at it. We're going to say, if we heal the dysfunction, does that end the person's career. If he's an artist, 
and you heal the dysfunction, will that person stop being an artist? If the person is an athlete and we heal the dysfunction or the pain, will the person no longer be interested in playing sport? There isn't a black and white answer, and here's why. <clears throat> First, let's, let's reinforce what you said. It's very true that your experiences in childhood can drive you to extraordinary levels of success because it's pushing you and you keep going and you keep going and you just go higher and higher and higher and you get that success. And perhaps you wouldn't have gone as high if you hadn't experienced the trauma. Now what counts is not just do you have inner peace, are you enjoying the success or are you still obsessively wanting more and more till the point that your body starts to break down your relationships start to break down because you're a workaholic and you're not devoting time to your children, to your partner, to your family, to the people that really matter. And does it end up creating some form of self-sabotage? And the always the easiest example are athletes and Hollywood people because they achieve extreme high levels of success and with that success comes fame, power, influence or celebrity status, that then brings additional problems to the situation. What happens for a lot of people when they have this extraordinary success is they start to question, am I an imposter? That's the imposter syndrome. Am I really worthy of this success? Charlie Sheen said it in 1987 when he was recording the first uh, Wall Street movie. I forgot what the title was, but it was uh, the Wall Street movie nonetheless. And he said, you know, he'd go out after the film shooting and he'd be drinking all night and he'd have to be back at six o'clock in the morning. And his specific words were along the lines of, I kept wondering, is this all a fluke? Will they find out that I'm, that I'm nothing, that I'm just fake, that I'm an imposter? So again, and he had a lot of trauma incidentally growing up. And, he, and it's his father who tells everyone about the trauma Charlie had, not Charlie. Martin Sheen is the one that told about it in a book written for addicts because Martin Sheen also had his own addiction problems. So you say, does it drive you to success? Yes, it can. It drove me to great success, because what it made me do is kept running away from Australia. I was running away from home. I was running away from myself. So I kept traveling the world, having better and better, bigger experiences, trying new things. And in one sense, having this limitless courage, this endless courage, and trying new and new things. But then getting the point of saying, okay, I've got it all, but I'm not happy. And I'm not talking about inner peace. I'm like, there's just something wrong here. There's something off here. And then you look at your relationships and depending on the trauma you experienced, maybe you can, maybe you're a great football player, but you don't get along well with your teammates. Maybe you're a great football player, but your, your relationships at home are awful. Maybe you're a great football player, but you have no insight into what you're doing and how you're engaging in self-destructive behavior, such as Michael Vick. It wasn't just about money. It was about risky behavior. It was, there's so many examples of people engaging in self-sabotage. Chris mentioned this in the podcast. I think he mentioned it with you, that I coined a term in 2006, the law of deservedness. You only get what you subconsciously feel and believe you deserve and no more. When you get more than what you feel and believe you deserve, you sabotage it, you push it away, or you simply don't enjoy it. My point to you is, Let's say you're a successful businessman, you're a successful coach such as you, you're a successful football player, an actor, an actress, a musician, a teacher, wherever you are in your career and you're having success and you recognize there's some sort of pain, you call it a hang-up, maybe it's a dysfunction, uh, some issue that needs to be resolved. When you resolve that, one of two things will happen. One, you'll say, I really love my career, I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm not going to do it obsessively. I'm going to get to enjoy it more. Or two, you might say, I don't really need to do this. This isn't what I want to do. I'm going to go and do something else because this was always my passion. Now, here's a question for you, Sean. What happens if you are a, a, a famous footballer and you have an issue and you notice that you're sabotaging your life, you're engaging in self-destructive behavior, you're losing millions of dollars even though you make millions of dollars, you come to this guy called Patrick Wallace and he helps you and he heals the issue and then you say, you know what, I, don't, I love football but I don't really want to do football. I want to be, I want to, want to go and work with children and I'm going to go and do this charity. Is that wrong? 
what happens if if that person is really happy? And um, look at Alonzo Mourning. He spends a lot of energy in charity. Now, that's just an example. I'm not saying he can't immediately heal his issues. I'm just saying that there's life beyond what you think there is. Like, here I am now. I'm doing this podcast with you. I do I do sessions, individual sessions. I do corporate sessions, but I still create art. I do photography and I do art. That's a passion that I don't want to let go of no matter what. I don't do sessions eight hours a day. I'm selective. I say I'll work these hours because I also like this. There's a balance. And I, as you can tell, when I'm talking about this, there's extraordinary passion. And I think I said it to you on your podcast with Chris Burris of My Vital C. I said, listen, mate, the thing is that this is really easy for me now. When I'm doing SRTT, it's really easy. Now, I'm fully engaged and I'm right there. And I'm in a zone. The zone is, and this is what I define as in the zone. In the zone to me means you are no longer thinking about yourself. You're just experiencing your senses. So I'm not thinking about my ego. So when I was doing the session with you, I'm not thinking, is this going well? Do I look okay? Do I look good? Will it end up well? No, I'm fully focused on what do we need to do? How do we help Sean? Or how do we help this person or that person? So there's that passion that I love. And then when I'm doing photography, I'm fully immersed in that. I'm in a zone as well. When I'm doing yoga, I'm in a zone. I also believe we have multiple passions. So someone might have a passion for sport, passion for acting, directing, writing, poetry, teaching, leadership, whatever it is, being a mother, being a a parent, being a father, whatever that passion is. But that's not your only passion. You can have multiple passions. So I don't know. Did that answer yeah, your question? Yeah, it does. Well, and, and I understand. You know, what's what's clear to me is, you know, let's maybe maybe some traumatic event or traumatic events in your childhood have made you exceptional, an exceptional athlete, an exceptional artist, an exceptional business person, and you go and you resolve the you process um, that that trauma or those traumas to the extent where you feel complete with it, you feel at peace with it, you feel like you can move forward into your into the rest of your life sort of unshackled from from that from what may have previously sort of defined you. Um, then it goes from from a psychological or therapeutic uh, or psychotherapeutic issue to a life creation issue, to a life coaching issue where you get to decide, well, what do you want to do next? What is going to feel good to you? What have you learned in your life that will help you now going forward do things that make you feel good? Like, do you want to be exceptional in these other areas of your life? That That's up to you. That, that, that personal choice, the, you know, really like crafting the sort of life that you want. It doesn't necessarily mean like if you want to retire from football, retire from football. Um, you know, um, you stop living for other people, Sean. Number one, mm. you live for yourself. You're not trying to prove anything to your mother or father or the people that were either abusive to you or abandoned you or neglected you. So your motivation is different. And this is the key. The why changes. When I was talking with Andy Dick's daughter, um, who's 23 years of age, and she said she wants to be an actress and she was lacking motivation. And one of the things I said to her was, it's very important, it's critical that you work out why you want to do it. The why is more important than the how. The how can be resolved. It's the why that matters. And here's why the why matters. Because no matter what you're doing, you're going to hit a lot of walls. As, as Sylvester Stallone says in that last movie that he did of um, where he's, you know, he's coaching his son in the movie and he says to him, you're going to get knocked down, the world's going to knock you down, it's going to beat you down. But that's not important. What's important is how many times you're going to get back up. And the why comes into play. When it gets really hard and you've fallen flat on your face, why do you want to get up? Why do you want to get back in the ring? Whatever the ring is, whether it's the corporate world, the the coaching world, the therapy world, the, the parenting world, the teaching world, whatever world you're in, why do you want to be there? Why do you want to get back up? If you're getting back up because you're trying to prove something to your mum or dad or someone that didn't believe in you, you'll always, always continue to be in pain and you'll never be satisfied. Once you heal that issue, 
you talked about being unshackled. I refer to it as resolving the trauma, resolving the issue. It means there's a completion to it, and it's no longer controlling you or guiding you. It's no longer your motivation. Now your motivation comes from a completely different place. If you're creative and artistic, you'll actually be more artistic and more creative. You just won't be coming from a place of pain. Maybe you won't be creating as much painful art, but you'll be creating art and it'll come to you in a completely different way. So you've got to work out why do you want to do it. And there was a, I'm trying to think, there was one celebrity I worked with, and for him, the motivation was to prove something to his father because his father never believed in him. And that's a motivation for a lot of people, mate. It's not just this particular celebrity who I can't name. It's a motivation for a lot of people. I remember an uncle said it to me when I wanted to get into radio, and he said, you'll never get into radio. Well, unfortunately, that became my motivation. Now, fortunate or unfortunate, I was going to get into radio regardless of him. It just pushed me harder. But you know what? But it still didn't make me feel any better towards him when I got the success, and I did get extraordinary success. So. I think the more you heal unresolved issues, not only will the greater success you have, but the more you'll enjoy it. You'll actually enjoy the process of success more than even the achievement of success. Because that's another thing, and I'm trying to work out who said this. There was a great phrase, and, and it really, you know, we talk about the, the, the destination and the journey. It's more than that. It's the entire process because life is lived an experience with lots of little moments. It's not just, yay, I made it. I'm a human behavior expert. It's got to be all those sessions that I did that have now got me to the place of saying, I can really help people dramatically. I've got to be able to say I enjoyed every session along the way, even the ones that were challenging for me, even the ones where I said I can do better. You've got to enjoy the process and every little moment because that's what you've got. Here's another thing. I'm curious to see what you what you think about this. So when COVID happened, you start to get very clear about what's really important to you and what matters and what were the significant memories and times you had. And for me, they were the little moments. Like I'd remember moments with this person, with this friend, with this friend, with that friend, in this place, doing this, doing that. I remember a time being in the Florida Keys, jumping off the rocks, diving into the water with this particular friend. And then I realized, yeah, it really is true. These are the things that matter to me. These are the things that, that are the moments in life that enrich life, that give life great meaning, great, great value. They, they're valueless. They're, they're, they're priceless. And again, the point is work out your why. Enjoy every moment. Don't think that you're suddenly going to be happy when you get what you wanted. You've got to enjoy getting what you want because it's the process that will really determine whether you're happy or not. Because what happens when you say, I want, to be the I want to be the CEO of this company. You become the CEO. Now what? Well, now I want to make the company something else. Now you've got another goal that's always out of reach, always out of reach, always out of reach. And you go, I spent eight years trying to become the CEO of the company. Can I look back at those eight years and say they were great years? Or I go, I don't remember any of them. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you had the same experience. Yeah, I, 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 it's, it's this, it's this conversation around the, the fine line between you know optimal performance, being your best, doing your best, having a clear why, and also enjoying your life. Um, what is that line between what is sometimes frantic or manic? levels of ambition and and striving for greatness versus um i think a lot of that comes with with age meaning that you also have a lot more energy to expend the younger you are you expend a lot more energy in your 20s and your 30s than you do in your 40s 50s and 60s even on your career and hopefully as you go up the ladder or as you achieve more success you need less energy to do it because I think it's, but you think about it, you know, you, you graduate from college in whatever you've graduated, and now you've got to expend the energy to get that job, to build the career, to build the reputation, to develop your skills, and that takes a lot of energy. Maybe that's the frantic, the frantic, manic energy that you need to do it. Now you're at another level, you say, I don't need that same level of energy. So I think you've also got to adjust 
how much energy is required in this situation. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I totally see that. Well, and as your life circumstances change, if you start a family or if you, you know, you move, you go through divorce, like your, your circumstances changes and your everyday changes too. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'd like to, I'd like to think and put this into like a really, a really current paradigm. You know, um, a lot of people listening to this right now are going, oh man, I've got some, I got some stuff. I got some stuff I got to work through. I don't know my why. Uh, I do have trauma that I can think about right in this moment. And that sort of shapes me and plagues me. Also, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this traumatic experience right now in this um, COVID crisis, and who knows what that's going to look like for me in four or five years? What's my life going to be? Am I am I identifying with fear? Am I aligning with it? Is it defining me? And I think a lot of people get sort of overwhelmed with thinking about, well, how do I how do I handle this? How do I process this? Do I need to spend, you know, twenty thousand dollars over five years? Um, going through sessions and sessions and sessions and seeing therapists and 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 you're shaking your head because the answer is no. So so tell us. Well, the wrong therapist. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I think that's the. I mean, I I think that's yeah, the common yeah, that's the right. common perception, right? Is the the, the common well, it's perception. The common experience. It's not right. just the perception. It's the common experience. There was a. I was reading and I I had to laugh about some psychiatrist who thought he had great success with this client. Um, who'd been seeing him three times a week for like seven years. Oh, my God. Seven years. And I wanted to say, what? Three times a week? Even if the, that person's coming to your office for 20 minutes a day, three times times 52 is 150 times seven, 700, seven fives, over 1,000 sessions. I've never done 1,000 sessions with anyone. I would never want to do 1,000 sessions. Yeah. My work is... Let's get, let's identify very clearly what it is you want that you don't yet have, what it is you want to change. You want to change a belief. You want to change an outcome. You want to change an emotion. You want to change the way you relate. Now let's trace it back. Where did it begin? How did it begin? Let's release the emotion. Let's change the belief and move forward. And after, and now this is, you're the person who's going to answer this. In 90 minutes, what have you achieved? Now, most therapists do 50 minute sessions, five zero so that they have 10 minutes in between clients. And if you're a psychiatrist, you might just do 20 or 30 minute sessions because people come in, you prescribe the medication, you talk to them for a few minutes, you prescribe the medication, they're gone. Um, I do an hour and a half because it's a process. And I got to ask you, what benefit did you get out of it? And how do you compare that to the one other therapy session you've ever done? Because I don't want you coming every week to me. I'm going to help you to fish. I'm going to teach you to fish, you're going to fish. Yeah. I'm not going to do the fishing for you every week so that you buy me a Ferrari, a Lamborghini or the latest Mercedes Benz or a new house like most doctors and therapists and psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors do. Fortunately, I don't believe in that. I don't want to do that. It goes against what I believe when I say I don't believe it's necessary. I don't believe in doing that. It's the wrong thing to do. It's greedy. It's abusive. It's Mm -hmm. taking advantage of people. And I have the technique where you don't need to do that anyway. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be working with eight clients a day every single day because I have so many other passions. I'm writing newsletters. I'm recording podcasts. I'm creating videos. I'm creating an audio book, a guided meditation. Um, I'm I'm answering articles and giving interviews. I'm doing workshops. So I want to be whole. I, I, so what benefit did you get? Well, I, uh, before I answer that, I, I have to just uh, give you kudos to that because that's that's I, I feel really strongly about that as well, and that's why when I work with people, um, it's it's a it's a three month minimum. My coaching engagement is three months. At, at the end of three months, we can reassess. A lot of people choose to work with me for six, nine, twelve months um, because of the results that that we get together. But right. I'm I'm not a toll booth. I don't I don't I'm not trying to capitalize on on a dependence that you have for me. I want to teach you tools. I want to give you solutions that's custom to you, so that you can live the life that you want, and that you can bon voyage. Go go do whatever it is that you want to do. I I, I think it's totally and wildly unethical to 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 make people to set up a paradigm where people are, are reliant on on you for for therapy for coaching it's just i think it's messed up so i'm i'm i really Let me add this. yeah yeah i agree with you and support everything you're saying the other point is that 
a lot of the people who are doing this also don't have the tools to know how to help the person and get them out. They think if they just yeah. keep talking all the time that maybe they're going to help them eventually. And I, I've, I've had clients who've been through years of therapy and have got no help whatsoever. And I said, well, why did you keep going? Yeah. And, and she says, it was someone to talk to. And I go, but who paid for this? Oh, my insurance or my company. And I go, but your issue hasn't been resolved. And she says, no, that's why I'm here. That's yeah. why I'm talking to you. Yeah. So if you don't have the tools, you might keep the person going and going and going. But when you have the tools and you know you're helping people, I tell them very clearly, okay, we did this. I think we, we need to do at least another session to work on this specific issue. And then I say, it's up to you, though. Yeah. It's up to you. You want to come back? Great. If you don't, you'll come back when you're ready. Yeah. So, so my experience, my takeaway, and I'll share this, um, you know, my, my session was around money and I, I have had, uh, um, a fairly unhealthy relationship with money since my childhood. Um, haven't really cared for it. Haven't organized it. Um, haven't felt like I deserved it. Haven't felt like even when I work my butt off and I've earned the money that I've worked really hard for, I have trouble receiving it. And, in, in our session, um, in this really incredible process of going back and like going into an, an episode in where I saw my seven-year-old self in my home when I grew up um, talking to little Sean, uh, talking to him, explaining to him that I was there for him, um, understanding uh, the, the, the some better, some greater, some adult, some grown-up and evolved uh, um context for what little Sean was experiencing, adding to that and teaching him and his little seven-year-old self. And in so doing, what I, re- what I experienced was a, a level of um, self-worth upgrade that I feel like I am, I am, I am worth, I am worthy. Um, I can and should receive money that I've worked for. Um, the, the, the value of my time, the value of, um, the, the, the talent, the, the talent that I that I have, and, and the work that I do, the output that I do, and this derive. I mean, this this is this is absolutely and transparent and vulnerable. Um, but just around this, the, the, around the podcast itself, you know, um, this has been kind of an underdog podcast, overachieving and under earning for a while because I'm because uh, I'm committed to doing really good podcasts with experts like yourself over and over and over. But I have not really like monetized it very well. I've not really. Um, I've not focused on um, the the business around the podcast, and it's because I f- because I felt like I didn't really deserve to to make money from it. Um, it when I sold my flotation therapy centers, it was a it was it was a it was a, a fascinating growth process for me to sell and actually receive the money that that I sold those float centers for. So now, uh, it, it, I haven't shared this with you. Um, Interestingly enough, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna tr- try to say this in a way that doesn't give away too much of the goose. Um, two days after our session, uh, I was contacted by someone who is a massive, massive fan of the podcast, who also uh, works in an industry that can take this podcast and do really cool stuff with it. I mean, really, really fascinating growth opportunities within the podcast itself. And with again, without giving away too much, I am building something. I am working on it right now. This is the first time that that, that any listener has heard this, but I'm working on something right now that 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 could very well be gigantic and and help a lot of people. And I think that had I not done the session with you, I probably would have poo-pooed that opportunity. I probably would have said, no, 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 I don't have time for that. No, it doesn't sound quite right for me. No, it's going to take, uh, it's going to take too much effort. No, no, who am I anyway to, to, to at least explore this opportunity, which was basically, um, really served up on a platter for me, um, because of the hard work that I've put in and I feel worthy of it. You know, I feel, I feel like I can accept some help. And I can concept, I can, I can accept some collaboration around this thing. And it's, it's really freeing. It's exciting. Well done. <laughs> Big round of applause for Sean. Yeah. Excellent, mate. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, the, the cool That's part fantastic. 
the cool part is, is that every single person listening right now is going to benefit from it. Uh, that's, that's the cool part for me is that I can, I can, I can, the thing that I'm building is going to immediately impact the people, the, the tens of thousands of people that listen to every single episode of this podcast. So they win, I win, you know, the, 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 the my collaborators on this project are winners. It's, um, it, it, it had, it did, it did change my mentality. I think another thing that it did was allow me to say no, uh, more effectively. I think a lot of us don't know how to say no. We don't know. We don't want to disappoint people. We don't want to protect our time. We don't want to protect our, uh, our time or anything else. We have, and this happens the same with, with a lot of my coaching clients is they, they, they don't want to disappoint people. They want to be yes people. And by saying no to people that are going to either take your time or not provide the right amount of value in your life, when you can just say no, not with an explanation, without an apology, just no, it's really, an, it's, it's a game changer. I mean, you ought, to, you ought to write a book, somebody ought to write a book around, around power, the power of saying no to people. Um, but what, what came from our session together was that I'm constantly open to a bunch of bullshit that doesn't actually serve me in my life because I'm okay being distracted from things that that then in turn distract me from making money, which is an important part of what I'm trying to do so that I can have more impact and build build in, in, in many ways. So I say yes to this thing. I say yes to this cold call that's trying to sell me a coaching optimization platform and all stuff that I don't need just all the time, all the time, all the time saying yes, yes, yes. And so by saying no, it's like, no, okay, well then refocus my attention on the stuff that really matters to me. So it, it, it's been, it's been really illuminating. It's been really, really incredible. So you use present day language to say, I am, or this is what I do. Do you now change that language to, I used to allow these distractions. Mm-hmm. I used to seek I used to say yes to, so put it in the past because I really believe you're making a change. Yeah, no, thank you for catching that. Yeah, I used to say yes to a lot of people as a way to distract myself from the things that were the most important. And I don't anymore. I feel perfectly confident saying no now. I think the most important thing to extrapolate or to take from this is to say, get clear about your boundaries, what you will and won't accept. And then practice saying no. And I just taught this to a client who, and for her, it was something that her father said at age 18. And as we discuss, and I believe I may have gently revealed to her, her father was probably just saying in a very innocent way, but she interpreted a different way to take on all this pressure and all this responsibility. And so she became a people pleaser. She thought she had to be the savior of the family. She couldn't say no. She couldn't set boundaries. And so I said to her, look, now you've got to work on your language, just like I said to you about be aware of your language. I said, you've got to now work on your language. You've got to get clear about where your boundaries are. Then you've got to know, well, how are you going to say no? Some situations you can say, you don't even need to say no. They say, Sean, would you like to go out this weekend? I'm actually staying home Friday night. Well, come out. We're going to have a great time Friday night. Yeah, I'm staying home. Well, why won't you come with us? I'm really looking forward to staying home. Now, I didn't even use the word no. I've just told them clear by repeating what I'm saying. Or someone says, uh, Sean, can I I use your car this weekend? You say, I have a policy that I'm the only person that drives my car. I didn't say no. I said, I have a policy. I have a firm policy. I'm the only person that drives my car. Um, Could we come over this weekend and hang out with you on the beach? My weekend is full. There's yeah. no room for – so I, I don't – and the only reason I say that is – It's nice. It's gentle. It's gentle. Now, there's going to be times you might have to clearly say no, like stop, and I've done that on LinkedIn where I said no thank you or stop. I've actually said please stop contacting me. Yeah. I didn't say no. In that situation was here's the boundary. Please stop contacting me. You've overstepped it. One of the things I was teaching one of my brothers who's got three kids and he was – He's got his first daughter who's, I think, like three or four years of age, and she's just 10 times stronger than him. She probably got it from her grandmother, which is our mother, who's just this really strong personality. And as he was describing their relationship, I said to him, you know what, Christian, I hear you saying the word no a lot. 
do you say no a lot to your, your first daughter? And he says, yes. And I said, well, perhaps you can restructure that language because it's actually not healthy to keep saying to a child, no, no, no. Because what you're doing is you're shrinking them and you're telling them there are no possibilities mm. or you're provoking them or you're actually damaging them. What about if you redirect her behavior? Sure. So when she says, I really want to eat, I want some ice cream, I want some ice cream, we'll have ice cream after dinner. No, I want it now, I want it now. I know you want it now, I heard you say that, and, I'm, and, you, and I promise you, you're going to love it and you're going to enjoy it at the end of dinner. So <laughs> instead of just saying, no, you can't, you can only have it after dinner, I'm redirecting her behavior. So sure. become aware of the language, can you redirect and let, without saying no? Again, there are times where you just need to clearly say, no, thank you, goodbye. Um, yeah. I taught this to a client. You're going to love this one. I taught this to a client in New York and we're walking through Manhattan and I was actually teaching them this about no. And we're walking through the, um, I don't know, 42nd Street, wherever it was, somewhere in Manhattan. And there's these people stopping and asking you questionnaires because they want to sell you something. And with those people, you can't start a conversation. When they say, hello, how are you? You know, would you like to? Once you start talking, that's it. You're done. So you've got to yeah. cut off, right? So I would just say, no, thank you. And she, she might say something I'd say, and I would say, I'm practicing saying no. Yeah. And that's what I would say all the time. I would just, in fact, I think that's what I really said. The person I'd say, I'm practicing saying no. And they go, yeah. what? I'd say, thank you, I'm practicing saying no. And I'd go, because then they don't know what to say. It's yeah, like, right. what are you going to say to someone? <laughs> Instead of saying, would you like to sign up and give $10 to charity? I'm practicing saying no. Unless the person's really fast and says, well, how about practicing saying yes? And they go, I've already practiced that. I'm an expert. I'm now practicing saying no. Have a great day. Thank you very much. See you later. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I love it. The focus is is powerful. Yeah. And redirect behavior rather than shutting people down and um, maybe ending an opportunity that might be good later. So if someone offers you something, rather than saying no, you might say, I'm not ready at this time. Yeah. And I will say that to people. I say, this isn't the right time for me. Please feel free to come back in six months. Yeah. So, again, it depends on the situation, the context, what's being said, what's being offered. And if you are the person that's always said yes, particularly to the wrong things, and you've been saying no to yourself and yes to everyone else, then you can even say, listen, I'm practicing saying no. I mean, I, I yeah. use a comic funny way. I like that a lot. This has been uh, this has been a great a great conversation. I mean, we've we've we it's not at all what I expected, and that's beautiful and unique. And um, uh, you know, we've we've covered we've covered trauma, we've covered um, what trauma does, how we can how we can uh, resolve it. Um, we've you know we've given a little bit of a, 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 a sort of a high level idea of what SRTT is, how it can help. Uh, where can people find your information? Where can they connect? What's the best place for them to uh, see you? I believe the best place to go is to the website, patrickwanis.com, and that is because you can Google, or not Google, but in my search and my website, you can put the search word trauma, and up will come all the different resources on trauma um, or whatever the issue is that you want to look at. I've written articles. I've written 1,200 articles. So a therapist uh, calls me and says, in fact, texts me and says, Patrick, have you read anything about parentification, you know, where the child had to take care of the parents? And I go, let me check. I go, no, I haven't. But you know what? I'm going to write it this week. And I yeah. week, and then I send it. So uh, I, my website does play out as a, as a resource. There is lots of videos to watch. Uh, and if you really want to book a session, you can go to book a session, phone consultations. You'll watch video testimonials, read video testimonials. There's a video of me explaining the, uh, the process. And I just say, look, when you're ready, you come. And if you're not, yeah. that's okay. I I th- I think uh, I'm for people who are interested in and there's going to be a lot of people that need to talk to somebody to process what's going on in the world right now. You know, if if you if you like, I mean, he just told you 20, 1200 articles use use Patrick as a resource, you know, for for me it's very practical, it's very direct, it's very open and honest. 
uh, version of of human behavior of you know useful and applicable um, therapy for people in their life. So I I, I, we, I don't we, again I don't like yeah. People. We we need we need tools. So take advantage of of Patrick. Uh, it's Patrick W A N I S. It'll be in the show notes for everybody. Um, this has been phenomenal, Patrick. I just want to say thank you again for for the session and thank you for for a return visit on uh, the Optimal Performance Podcast. Well, thank you for the opportunity to uh, connect with your audience, Sean. And first, let me congratulate you on the shift that you made because the session is is a cooperative, interactive process. I guide you, you have to do the work, you have to actually do it, and then congratulations on doing it after the session in terms of actually embracing the opportunity that was offered to you and feeling and embracing it as, yes, I'm worthy of that, I'm good enough for that, I deserve that, let me use it to give back and help more people. Well done. And that's that. All right, mate, excellent. One more quick announcement before you guys take off. As you well know, Natural Stacks is an, an important partner of mine, and they make amazing products. And these are products that I suggest people take. Uh, clients of mine, listeners to this podcast, you, I should. I, there's lots of strong suggestions that people should take a couple of key products. If you're, if you need to focus, which of course you do, there's one game-changing nootropic for you, and that's Neurofuel. It helps you focus, it helps you focus longer, it helps you remember things, helps just increase your mental capacities in a very noticeable way. And uh, I did a, a podcast appearance with uh, Keto Savage just recently, and I talked about Neurofuel, and I had a number of people say, whoa, I've never, I've never experienced this level of focus in my entire life. And uh, so I'm happy to share that stuff. There's a couple of other things I think you should take uh, from, from natural stacks. You should also be taking magnesium every single day. They have a product called Mad MagTech, which combines three different types of magnesium that helps you relax, that helps your brain, that helps your mitochondria. You should take that too. You should also take vitamin D, especially vitamin D3, which is, uh, which is another awesome product from natural stacks. Go to naturalstacks.com. If you take those three products every day, you will be smarter, you will be more relaxed, and you will be healthier. Just do it. I mean, there's that's now is the time. Winter is coming, and uh, boosting your brain and your body is uh, is a good idea. So go to naturalstacks.com and use the code OPP twenty four twenty percent off your online purchase. Okay, I'll see you guys on the internet.